forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome back to the Inner Armor Podcast. I'm Greg Smith, and I'm here with Dr. Royer. We're continuing a conversation that for us has been going on for the last hour or so, but uh, we're breaking up into a couple of episodes. And uh, Doc, you were sharing that you're down in Jacksonville today, and you're going to be working with some of the 49er players this afternoon. And we're going to be having some episodes coming up about professional football and some intriguing stuff. And so stay tuned for that. But this is the second part of a conversation that we are having with Dr. Paul Gamage, a longtime colleague of Dr. Royer and one of the founders who really laid uh, a lot of the foundations and the scientific principles for uh, the inner armor approach, particularly the pillar that we call precision. So Dr. Gamage, welcome back for the second half of our conversation. Now, in the first half, we talked about athletics, particularly we talked a lot about elite athletes. And, you know, we say in the introduction to this podcast that inner armor is for, you know, elite athletes, professional athletes and ordinary people. So we're going to kind of leave the arena or the court right now and move out into, well, you know, general life because most of us are not shooting free throws or winning Super Bowls or playing elite college athletics. Most of us get up in the morning, we go to school, we have a job, we have a family to take care of. And yet our vision is just as important to our being able to carry out those responsibilities as it is for the elite athletes. And so we're going to talk today about how vision impacts those other aspects of life for for most people. Yeah, this is going to be a great uh, episode. And uh, our listeners many times are dealing with things that are downstream, certain behaviors, uh, maybe feeling tired uh, later in the day, maybe having a child that's having a hard time getting through school, performance at work, a variety of other things that are very downstream. And this, this episode is going to really look upstream at where this all begins with the eyes and we're going to look to you, Dr. Gamage, to kind of lead us into that area and show us like how these eyes are so important to um, development, but also just how we function in life. So why don't you get us started and, and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's my pleasure to be with you guys here today. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, an interesting topic because, you know, when you talk about vision and how it's related into really everything we do, it begins when we're early on, we're learning to read your, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Now those visual skills are starting to be useful in a different way because they're starting to become requirements for academic, right? Um, When we do something like read, that's really a highly complex process. Your brain doesn't really think about what your eyes are doing, or at least it's not supposed to. But the eyes are doing some very highly complex things that you need to be fairly skilled at in order to be a good reader, for example. The first thing that happens is the image has to be clear. So there are muscles that move the lens of your eye 
focus of the image so that it's clear. Well, then what happens is then the brain has to use the muscles of the eyes, six in each eye, to align the eyes correctly so that you're seeing one image instead of two. But then it even gets more complex. So now your eyes have to make these small jump movements called saccades. Okay, it's a form of eye tracking across the line. So when we read, our eyes don't move smoothly across the line. Okay, they make hmm. small jump movements, and in each position, your visual system is taking in a group of information that the brain has to interpret. And then you move to the next position, it brings in another group of information. And that process, while it sounds fairly simple, is very complex. And some kids just are really not very skilled at that. And it ironically has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence. Mm. I find kids that are, you know, they're at very high IQ, and yet for some reason, they just don't seem to be accomplishing what they know they have potential to accomplish. Uh, they may uh, avoid this thing. You know, they may, you know, not want to continue to uh, be pressed into something they're not good at. So sometimes it can manifest in high distractibility. You know, you're pressing them to read, and yet because this is a frustrating thing where the brain is not getting good visual input, they want to avoid that. And so it can manifest in certain behaviors, and that maybe gets into another topic that we can jump into later. But when we just talk about the basics of what's happening with reading, for example, the eye muscle coordination is absolutely critical for the brain to be able to make sense out of what it's trying to interpret. And it can manifest itself in other ways. Like, for example, somebody uh, may discover that they keep losing their place when they're trying to read. They may skip or omit small words. Uh, they may start rereading the same line they just read, or they may skip an entire line. The experts tell us that we only use about 17% of our cognitive ability to give towards understanding what we're reading. But if anything is distracting that cognitive thought process, like, wait a minute, I think I missed something, or wait a minute, I think I missed my place, or I just read this line. Anything that causes you to pause and have to think about what your eyes are doing is going to disrupt mm. your ability to understand what you're reading. So many times I'll talk to kids that struggle with this. They'll say, you know, I work so hard, I get to the bottom of the page, and I have no idea what I just read. But if somebody reads it to me, I've got it. You know, so I can hear it. It's not an intelligence issue. I can remember everything you just told me. But if I have to try to extract the information visually on my own, that's a whole different process. And uh becomes a challenge for a number of kids. Yeah, it's almost like it's a, their muscles are impacting learning, not the neurons in their brain that, you know, are going to store that information or go to certain areas of the brain. But when we, you take muscles out of the equation, like language, right? You're using your ears or other forms, other sensory input that don't require muscles. It's just seamless for them. Right. So this kind of feels like something that, I mean, is this uh, a lot of times in the current arena, you identify this as a, as a learning disability 
dyslexia, whatever that might be. And then the, the normal plan is to like maybe accommodate for this or, uh, just keep reading, 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 reading. I'm guessing that you have a different way that you would approach that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the key is through testing, right? By doing various tests, we can actually see what is the skill level that this kid is coming to the table with. Uh, are they highly skilled? Are they good at moving the line muscles in an efficient and, um, yeah, an efficient way where they're working together well as a team? Uh, or are they not very skilled at that? Uh, are their eyes misaligning often? Uh, whenever there's a mismatch with the, the eye movement, something happens on the page. So whenever, even for a moment, the eyes are not aligned properly, uh-huh. it gives the brain the appearance of motion. So the brain, it looks to them like the words are moving on a page. Hmm. But they know if they put their hand on it tactically, they know that the page is not moving, right? So there's a virtual tactile mismatch where my brain is saying that it looks like there's movement, but my hand on the page is saying there is no movement. So what's the problem here? Well, the eyes, because of the lack of good muscle control, are giving faulty visual data to the brain. And so what we need to do is by identifying where is the problem and isolating that skill, we can start working on that skill, improving that, doing what's called vision therapy. It's a form of eye exercises where we're teaching the brain to work with those muscles in a better coordinated fashion so that you don't keep losing your place. You don't have that misalignment where your eyes are sending improper visual data to your brain. So does the brain do some different uh, compensatory things if it's seeing that movement? Like, will it maybe just use input from one eye or, or what does it, it kind of do in that situation? Because that's got to be super frustrating yeah. that it's moving or it's, you're seeing double, right? Yeah. So what? That is one thing that can happen is using one eye. In fact, it's interesting because kids that have strabismus where one eye turns out or turns in, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen that. Yeah. Ironically, those kids don't tend to struggle as often with reading skills because they're not even trying to use the other eye. They're mm-hmm. a long time ago has figured out how to mentally shut that other image off so that they don't see double. And so you would think that would be a real struggle with reading. But ironically, those kids uh, seem to do really well with reading skills because they're not fighting with the use of the eyes together as a teammate. But it's in the process of learning how to suppress that image. That's where the struggle comes in. So what we don't want is for them to get better and better at suppressing one eye. What we have to get better at is using the eyes together as a team. And just because there are a lot of other things that we use our eyes, you know, when you talk about visual input uh, on a computer screen, computers are very visually demanding. Uh, they require accurate eye movement, the ability to focus images so that they stay clear. 
the ability to relax when I look away from the screen, for example. We don't want those muscles to become too stressed or too tense. I mean, I often tell people, try to brain a job that doesn't use a computer. I mean, it's all possible these days. Uh, I mean, I used to use an example. I mean, maybe they're going to be a truck driver someday, but even the truck drivers have, you know, laptops. <laughs> you just can't get away from these things. And so uh, digital devices, phones, tablets, laptops, computer screens, they're all very visually demanding. So the skills that we're talking about are not only critical for the early learner learning wow. how to read, but it's also critical or even when they get into their adult years, uh, most jobs are going to require them to be fairly skilled visually at some task involving a computer or a digital device of some kind. And so for those people, we want to have those skill levels uh, and an appropriate level so that now they're able to do their job without having to see um, restrictions in their skills because of their eyes and their visual input. So when I, in that individual that is having some coordination issues, uh, which you think of kids early on, on the playground, you know, some are jumping rope and some can barely bounce a ball, right? Like they're all different levels of development. So if I'm having coordination issues with the eyes and my brain decides, well, it's just going to use one eye, does that affect how much information, like how many letters I can take in or words? that I'm taking in uh, or how much work it's going to take to get through the page? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question because neurologically, muscle coordination is really the, the bedrock, the foundation on which everything else is built, right? So when you talk about the kid on the playground, some can bounce balls and jump rope and some are not so good at that. Believe it or not, those gross muscle coordination skills, the big muscles, are kind of the foundation for the finer muscles, the, you know, the smaller muscles. And so you have to have good muscle coordination, gross muscle coordination, to be a good foundation for everything that's going to be built on top of that. So when you look at the developmental hierarchy, that coordination goes from gross muscle big muscle movements to the fine muscles like eye-hand coordination to the finest muscles in the body, which are the ones that move your eyes. And so for somebody who did not go through a good crawling phase, for example, which is part of that whole gross motor development, and you know, you think ironically, how could not crawling well cause eye issues? Well, it's it's not fully responsible, but there is a relationship because if mm. the gross motor foundation is not well established, then everything that we try to build on top of it is standing on a shaky foundation, right? And so when you get to the level of the fine motor skills, and specifically with the eye muscle coordination skills, we need to make sure that uh, everything else is aligning properly, respecting that hierarchy. So yeah, the question you asked about, does there seem to be a lack of input? Does it affect how brain uh, interprets information? It absolutely can affect things academically because the way our schools are designed, 
they estimate that 80% of what we learn involves your visual system. So it's a highly active part of what we need to be good at in order to be an effective learner. Um, and the skills that we need to have to be a good reader, for example, start moving us down that road of higher complexity with muscle coordination skills. Yeah, I've seen you sometimes talk about like when you're working with kids or even adults, like, do you like the book better than the movie or vice versa? And you've kind of integrated this into like, a, a, not a definitive diagnostic tool, but as a way to kind of understand a little bit about some of this early development that leads to something else. Can you kind of explain that, that painting of the images and stuff that happen in the brain and, and what's going on there with good readers who like to read versus somebody who, you know, hey, I want to watch the movie. You know? Right. Well, it's interesting when we watch good readers, we can watch the brain light up with activity. So we know exactly what's happening. What good readers do is they recognize words and they generate a picture using the prefrontal cortex of the brain. This visual imagery is what makes reading interesting, right? So what are these Perfect. kids doing? They're recognizing words and they're basically watching a movie in their brain. So and mm -hmm. add to that, they're, they're reading a story about the house by the pine tree with the stream behind it and there's mountains in the background. You're seeing all that stuff happening visually using the prefrontal cortex of your brain. So... When you get to the bottom of the page, you've got such a rich image of what you've just read about. Not only does that make it interesting, but it also helps you to remember what you just read. Mm -hmm. And so, conversely, when we look at kids that struggle with reading, they don't tend to recognize the word. They're still busy decoding words in many cases, where they're sounding words out. Good readers don't decode words. They recognize mm. words, right? And so there are ways or techniques to try to get somebody out of that decoding mode where they're recognizing words better. That's kind of one of the techniques of how the brain is processing information. But oftentimes, you know, a child will come to a word that they don't recognize. They'll sound the word out and they come to that same word two pages later and they're still not recognizing. They're still sounding it out. Decoding words is not fun. It's not interesting. And if you're decoding words and you add to it a missed alignment, so now I had lost my place, uh -huh. the words, I get to the bottom of the page and basically I've got a blank screen up here, right? Mm. Don't remember what I just read and it's not interesting. But you know what? If mom reads me the story, boy, I've got all kinds of imagery going on. Then that's interesting. But if you look at good readers, I was just talking to my nephew about this last night, good readers, as they read the book, there's so much rich imagery going on in that prefrontal cortex. If you go and watch the movie, you'll say, oh man, the book was way better. Well, that because there's so much going on using that prefrontal cortex, there's no way they could reproduce all that on the cinema screen. And there's a lot of detail that are missing. My nephew was telling me, yeah, I watched the movie. And it's like, wait, that's not how it happens. You know, it's the point yeah. in detail that the movie was not able to. So, 
what we're trying to accomplish. We want kids to do what good readers do. Good readers recognize words and they get to watch a picture in their brain, watch the movie in their brain. That's what makes reading enjoyable and it makes it interesting. It's just a fascinating concept to think that muscle coordination is affecting the neurological activity. You know, like I have, you have all this potential. You have this brain that's like, and I've seen this. I mean, thousands and thousands of times where I test IQ and the person's IQ is through the roof. But then we go look at reading and it's below average. And that's got to be so frustrating to see that something that could be fixed, like muscle coordination, is keeping you from experiencing kind of like what you're describing as like works of art on your brain, in your prefrontal cortex. Beautiful images that are so lifelike become more like sketches because you're having to fight those muscles in such a way to at least to get the information. And then you've talked about comprehension uh, is impacted by that. And then you can't remember. I mean, I see that with executives as well, you know, like 45 year old, you know, owners of companies or, you know, uh, 70-year-old retired people are like, I just, I can't remember what I just read. You know, like I'm trying to to read this thing and I'm rereading all the time and uh, it's frustrating. Or people that are like, I'm getting so tired uh, at the, towards the middle of the day because um, I'm sitting at my p- computer screen and is what's wrong with my adrenal glands? And they'll come to us to kind of look at the adrenals and I'll be like, I wonder what's going on visually with you. You know, can you speak to some of that? Like we, we're talking early development, but what about like now, you know, later in life? Yeah. Well, uh, probably the best example I can give you is to describe one of the more common conditions that we see called convergence insufficiency. Okay. Okay. Convergence insufficiency is a process where the ability to converge your eyes inwards is not adequate for the demand that we're asking it to do. So when we read a book or when we look at our phone, our eyes are actually converging inwards so that they're pointing at the page. Okay. Many people have a tendency for their eyes to want to drift out. So they're not doing the alignment. Convergence insufficiency is a muscle coordination issue. It's not a muscle weakness thing. So by having to maintain that convergence, which maybe is stressful on the system, the, as soon as the visual system starts to sense that there's stress, it wants to go into relaxed mode. So if the brain tells your muscles, well, just relax then, the first thing that'll happen is a misalignment of the eyes which causes a little bit of that double vision thing we talked about and motion on the page. But the brain will sense that and say, well, time out, don't relax, work hard again, because that double vision is not helpful, right? The brain does not like to see doubles, so it's going to do everything it can do to try to compensate for that. That compensation is something that happens subconsciously. In other words, you're not really aware of it many times. 
So it's ironic that oftentimes when I'm doing testing on a child who's struggling, they know, like you're describing, we know this kid is smart, he's intelligent, but he's just not doing well with reading for some reason. And we'll describe this process where, yeah, their eye muscles are not coordinating well, and words may look like they move, they're skipping or emitting small words. And as I'm describing this thing, the parent, in many cases, is kind of holding off there with their jaw hanging open. It's like, well, you just described me. I've been, that's the way my whole life is on. And uh, he never even realized it, right? So by compensation mechanisms, by just pure determination to get through it, they accomplished things. They were able to graduate from high school and move on to this visually demanding job at work. Well, I've got to use a computer screen, but they are still fighting with convergence issues. And that's something that they have absolutely no awareness of. So yeah, you want to absolutely identify those things early. It's easier to fix when you're a child. It's a little harder to fix when we're an adult, but it, the good news is it's still fixable. We can fix that. So when we see a child that's uh, moving their head a lot while they're reading, can you kind of explain what's going on there? Like, I mean, you've seen that, like if you I've done a lot of work in second, third, fourth grade classrooms, and you can kind of see these kids and their heads are just like pivoting, you know, like one of these little swivel heads. Explain what's happening there. So that's a classic compensation mechanism that, you know, they, again, the brain will probably figure out that subconsciously they're not even aware that they're moving their head. But the big muscles that move the head are not nearly as efficient as the fine muscles that move the eyes. So when we go back to discussing that developmental hierarchy, motor skill coordination, so they maybe were better at the grosser skills and got better at some of the smaller, the finer muscle skills that move the eyes or move the head. But then when you got to what's going on with the eyes, it seemed like that's where they really stopped in their developmental movements. So they weren't as skilled at that level. So what they did is they basically back, backed up a little bit. Okay, better at these bigger muscles. And so maybe I'll just do that. I'll just move my head instead of trying to use the finer, more efficient muscles. And so, yeah, that's just a classic compensation strategy. And I usually, whenever I speak to educators, I tell them to watch for that because that would be a sign that they're not, they're not skilled at the fine motor skills that we need to be good at eye tracking, which is keeping your eyes aligned while you're trying to read. Yeah, and I would assume eventually that catch ups with, will catch up with them. I mean, you can't keep moving your head like that. You can get to fourth grade, maybe, but all of a sudden the text is going to become so demanding what you'd probably be exhausted, right? After. Yeah, you'll be a slow reader. It's going to take you longer than most of your peers to accomplish uh, what you need to accomplish. So, I mean, if you're motivated enough, if you're determined enough, you can still finish the task, but it's going to be a lot harder for you. It's going to take you longer and it's not going to be as enjoyable, right? And that can, you can carry that all the way into adulthood. You know, like when we talk about executives, well, that might be somebody who just was motivated enough and through pure grit and determination, even though they had this disadvantage, they were able to try to 
move along in their career development, but they did it well with a lot more energy and effort than what it would have been required otherwise. So we can identify that early, just remove that little speed bump for them. All of a sudden, the accomplishment of their tasks at hand become much more enjoyable and they can do it more quickly. Yeah, one of the things that I we've done a lot of work with is people who uh, are going to be taking standardized tests like uh, ACTs, SATs, GREs, MCATs that will come to us and be like, hey, you have uh, this ability to improve the functioning of the brain. And I'll say, you know, the best thing you can do six weeks, three months before this exam is to do this exact precision side of the program, which is the the vision therapy, because they go from, you know, the reading is such an essential part to taking that exam. And we can add sometimes 20% to 30% of processing speed, which it's not that the brain isn't working. The brain's fine, but they're, it's taking them longer to get in, uh, get through the task. Um, so yeah, we found that I think just we didn't intend to work on it that way, but over the last years, uh, maybe 15 years, we've seen people just improve in those tests. And do you remember the uh, basketball player we worked with that uh, actually talked about his, his block shots got better? They like doubled uh, because of the vision therapy. And he was like, it's the whole game seemed to slow down and I could take him two or three times more information. But that's what I'm, I'm seeing and learning is that if we can fix these eye muscles in their coordination, it literally improves the processor of the brain and also affects our downstream behaviors. Something I want to address as we kind of get towards the end here is if you could kind of rework the system academically, okay, let's say that you had the, the power to kind of work with the, the developmental process and when I introduce reading, how I introduce reading, um, you know, right now we're all like on a, a factory uh, assembly line, right? If, you, if you're stamped at five years, five months, well, you need to start learning your alphabet or whatever. And, you know, there's all these different goals that we have to meet based on our age. But you're talking about, when you talk about development and the difference between somebody crawling and somebody walking and all this stuff, how does somebody with your expertise, how would you look at the educational system and teaching people in relation to this? Big question. Well, yeah, this, <laughs> um, you know, my answer to that might surprise some people um, because I would say that what we see is frustration more and more at the education system that tries to push young, ill-equipped readers to try to read too early. And so uh, my answer to that would be, let's be sure that all of the kids that we try to push and teach to read are equipped. They've got all the tools they need in their toolbox to be a good learner, a good reader, if you try to push too early, and that's maybe where we, we try to make a, maybe a little bit of a mistake because, you know, hey, if my kid is five years old and I've got a neighbor down the street, their five-year-old is already reading chapter books. Well, yeah. 
my God, I want to do what I need to do to get my five-year-old to start reading already. But the developmental skills may not be there. And so we really need to, again, I keep referring to that developmental hierarchy. We need to make sure that that developmental hierarchy is being well-respected to the point where they've got a solid foundation of gross motor development. So we want those kids outside playing with them to learn to catch a ball ball. You know, sitting and watching videos is not going to be helpful for them to do that. I want them outside. I want them running around. I want them picking up sticks and throwing them into the woods. You know, I want them doing things that are going to engage that motor development. Because believe it or not, that is a crucial foundation for everything that needs to happen for them visually when they start. Wow. So as they get outside, as they move, as they start to learn how to, you know, that little takes baseballs, they learn how to hit that thing. That's all high-hand coordination stuff. You know, growing up, we used to play relatively dangerous things. We played King of the Hill and things, you know, pushing the drop. You know, believe it or not, those skills were helpful for us. Little did we know we were developing the gross motor development skills that we needed to build up. And so as you do that, as you respect that developmental hierarchy, you now become equipped to be able to handle what we're asking them to do visually. So I do those gross motor things. Then I start introducing crayons. And um, we just had our grandkids out in the driveway yesterday with uh, chalk, you know, on the driveway. They're drawing things, you know. Now, these are bigger muscles. You know, they're only two, two to four years old right now. But so they're, they're not drawing very pretty things, but they're learning what happens when I take this big piece of chalk and I try to do something on the driveway with it. Uh, those are skills that, believe it or not, are so critical to the foundation yeah. skills we need to learn how to read. Then our kids will be ready to handle this visually demanding task that we're asking them to do. And they're trying to learn how to align their eyes properly and learn how to make sense out of the English language, which is not easy, right? So, so that would be my answer. You probably should not try to press our kids to read so young. Let's make sure they're already developmentally. And then I think we'll have less and less avoidance, less attention problems, and more skilled readers that become skilled learners, which then ultimately become happy and achieving adults in society. So we just fixed all kinds of problems or didn't we? Just like right there, boom. You know, I, and I think based on our discussion earlier, why not be teaching them things that earlier on that don't involve muscles, you know, like, like language, you know, learning a different language, doing some different things that the, the ears don't involve this massive complexity, uh, you know, my auditory skills of what it takes to read. And we're so quick to get them into something that is going to require a coordination thing the other senses isn't they don't require those and we have to be very sensitive to them so that we don't have those senses do something and actually i mean you and i've talked about it are we creating learning disabilities in kids because we're teaching them ways to learn that eventually we have to undo so yeah great discussion so dr gamage doc this is just 
fascinating. But I, I'm thinking about what some of our listeners out there may be thinking and what solutions they feel are offered to them on an ordinary basis. So it, whether it's a parent or whether it's you know an adult, they begin to sense that their vision isn't great or that their child's vision isn't great. So they go to a school nurse, put up an eye chart, whatever. They go over to the Walmart Vision Center to get eye testing. They go to, you know, the chain, because, you know, a lot of people, this is what is available. Or they go to Walgreens and they get some readers. And all of a sudden, they can kind of see a little better, or at least they think they can see a little bit better. And where I'm going with this is that they feel like they're trying to solve the vision problem by going and getting glasses and thinking that, that that's addressing it because really that's, what, that's the solution that maybe the system offers them or seems the easiest way to address what seems like a visual problem. But what I hear you saying is going and getting readers or going and getting glasses isn't really the point. Yeah, so you bring up a great point here, Greg, and that is that vision is more than just in 2020, right? In fact, our school screenings are really good at finding kids that can't see the chalkboard. Well, those kids are nearsighted kids, and ironically, they tend to be in the top 10% of the class academically. So we're good at finding those kids that have a struggle seeing the board. But what about the kids that are struggling? What about the kids that are far sent? What about the kids who uh, are, there's a, there's a mismatch between right and left eye. Oftentimes those kids fall through the cracks. And so uh, there's been a, a movement in that whole school screening thing to try to make you redefine some of that a bit. And that, that may get there some, someday. But that's why whenever I speak to educators, I talk to them about things to watch for that might be a little yellow flag going up, saying we better maybe at least investigate whether or not there's a visual skill problem. Uh, because you're right. I mean, some kids, hey, they can see that distance I turn. They can rip off the 2020 line. So then the parent thinks, well, they passed the screening, so it must not be their vision. And so in some cases, the right pair of glasses does make a difference, especially if a child is farsighted or if they have something called astigmatism or if there is an imbalance between the right and left eye. Sometimes glasses will really help that child significantly. But that's different than the off-the-rack readers you get from Walmart. I mean, you know, that type of strategy is just not going to be helpful in that scenario. So, yeah, you need to be tested by, you know, someone who is doing the right testing. They're not just looking at, can you see the distance chart? Uh, but they're testing, how's your focusing ability? How's your eye muscle coordination skills? How's your depth perception? If all of those things look good, at least we can rule out that this is, may not be a visual issue. So for the listener who might suspect that there's something more going on that isn't going to be just addressed by getting a pair of readers or reading a large print book, or just going over to the, you know, the vision center and getting a pair of glasses, where do they go, right? I mean, we have people listening all around the country. What, where do they go to, 
to try to address or diagnose these issues? Where Give, give them some advice. Well, I guess, I mean, my recommendation would be to find an eye doctor who, uh, who does these types of tests. I mean, um, unfortunately, not all of my colleagues do all of these testing. I mean, uh, that's kind of my subspecialty. So, of course, I do this on, on every child that I see and even every adult that I see. But uh, you just want to find an optometrist who, uh, who is able to do the test and will do those tests. So, you know, a, someone who's a developmental optometrist, which is kind of the class that I would describe myself, someone who's looking at visual skills that are needed for the reading ability and so forth, that would be what you'd want is to find someone who's going to do the right test. So for that listener who right now is really, really interested and has a sheet of paper and a pen, what tests should they ask their optometrist to do so they can write it down and make sure they ask the right questions? Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the big question would be, do you test just beyond 2020? Do you test focusing skills? Do you test eye muscle coordination skills? I mean, even just doing a simple cover test, you're looking at what are the eyes doing as you move the cover back and forth. I mean, it literally takes 15 to 20 seconds to do that, but not everybody does it, unfortunately. And so, yeah, so there's a few things like that that you would ask just to be sure that they're, on, they're comfortable working with kids and especially working with somebody who maybe is a struggling learner. Well, and of course, one of their options is to go to fourgenerarmor.com and look at an assessment program, also a development program for precision. Yep. And when we, uh, Dr. Damage is a consultant for us. And when we start to pick up things in neuropsych testing, which are measuring the discrepancies between IQ and uh, academic abilities, you know, one of the first places we go is, you know, looking at some of these developmental things and connecting them with Dr. Gamage or somebody in their area. Many times we've gotten phone calls that I've given to Dr. Gamage. Hey, can you connect to somebody in Seattle, Washington, or can you use your database to come up with somebody that, and he'll shoot us a, a name, you know, usually pretty easily. So, um, yeah, it's a good starting point. You know, we're not developmental optometrists at, at uh, Inner Armor, but we are well-versed in all of this and we know how to feed that complex case further to the person and uh, get the right assessment to help them. A final encouraging word to our listeners as we close out from either of you? I would say from my perspective is that um, just because somebody's struggling academically, that isn't the end game and you don't just need to give them a pair of crutches to use the rest of their life. There are many times that we can improve these skills and literally change the future for what this person can do uh, when we're looking at some of these developmental eye movements. Yeah, I guess my 10 second encouragement would be for parents of young kids. The thing I would really encourage you to do to set your child up to be a successful learner someday is get them outside, get them out, play with them, Get those muscle coordination skills working. That's going to set up an important foundation. You don't even realize it, but those skills are absolutely correct. Well, fantastic. Thanks to both of you. Thank you, Dr. Gamage, for your time. Doc, I know that you're 
going to meet the 49ers or some of the 49er players this afternoon. And that's going to be exciting. And I'm sure our listeners will hear more about that in a future episode. Also, if you want to learn a little bit more about this and how it all fits together, check out our book, uh, ForgeYourInnerArmor.com. You can find it on Amazon.com and uh, in both a print, uh, Kindle, and for those of you who don't like to read the printed word, <laughs> there is an audio book. So <laughs> blessings to both of you, and we will uh, see you again soon. Great. Thanks, Greg. Very good. Thank you. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.